podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it up. Out of sight, you know when that shark bites, his teeth. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take with myself Andy Clark and Matthew Macklin. And today our guest is somebody who we really should have tracked down a while ago, but it, the people we know best, it's generally taken us the, the longest uh, to get on. And it's somebody who will be very familiar to boxing fans the moment that you hear his voice, because we are joined by the silky tones of Adam Smith. Our, our colleague, our esteemed colleague, uh, and gaffer, let's let's be honest, at uh, Sky Boxing. Now, we hear plenty of interviews with Adam and on various YouTube outlets all over the place, really. And what you will generally hear him talk about is, is Sky business and the boxing business and what's coming up. And he's very much got that kind of hat on. But we want to take that hat off him today because there is a lot more. There is a lot more to him than that. There is a lot more to his career than that. And he has been on the front line uh, of British boxing for longer than he would probably care me to, to mention. But, but it's true, isn't it? You know, you look back to, we're in Manchester, for example, and Ricky was there earlier on. Ricky Hatton was there at the press conference. And you think about that massive boom period of, of, of the Manchester years, and, and, and you, you were here all through that. And we were in Sheffield recently. Another boom period coming in the decade before that uh, with Naz and, and, and Ryan Rhodes and, and other fighters. And, and, and you kind of lived and breathed that one too. I mean, it's, it's, um, they were great days and they must be great memories. Absolutely. And uh, just every time I come to Manchester, for example, it does take you right back. And we remember the sort of early Sky box office events with... Um, Prince Nassim Hamad reigning as the world featherweight champion. We did the Nigel Benn and Steve Collins fights here. And yeah, Chris Eubank and, you know, over in Sheffield, obviously we had Naz and Johnny Nelson, our, our great colleague, and Ryan Rhodes and uh, Junior Witter and all those sort of Brendan Ingle fighters from the, um, the Winkerbank stable. And yeah, I, I mean, I spent so much time in Sheffield in the mid to late 90s my dad always said I don't know why you don't get a flat up there I was up and down that train line from St Pancras three times a week um I spent a lot of time with um you know with with all the Sheffield fighters including Clinton Woods Glyn Rhodes's camp but mainly in in uh on the Winkerbank Hill in with Brendan and um spent a lot of time with Brendan and learned a, a great deal about the boxing trade sort of through him and there was there were the times of Frank Warren when we worked with Frank on Sky, and there were some huge nights. And uh, yeah, it, it does take me right back. And Manchester, I mean, the likes of Mike Tyson coming over here and taking over the city when he knocked out Julius Francis, um, great guy Julius, one of our sort of pals in London, really. And uh, you know, but sponsored on the sole of his soles of his boots because we knew he'd be up and down a few times. And you know, that was an incredible sort of uh, period. Um, and, you know, we've seen so many great fights in Manchester, but I think the, the, the likes of Ricky Hatton may never, we may never see again. I mean, Ricky had a, a phenomenal uh, support base. Um, he was a great amateur. I remember meeting him very early on when he was with Billy Graham in the Phoenix camp. 
Billy, he, was, he must have been 16 or 17, uh, Richard at the time, and, uh, and he said, you've, you've got to see this kid over here we've got. And I walked over and there was a chunky little fellow with, with sticking up sort of almost white blonde hair. And he said, watch him hit the uh, punch bag. And, and he did. And uh, he said, I think he's going to be something special. And, and I always remember that. And, you know, Ricky was an amateur at the time. And he turned over and we were at his first fight in Widnes and it was the night Robin Reed was topping the bill and uh, it was actually the only fight I think we never filmed of Ricky Hatton but um, you know we were with him in Manchester in obviously so many times but went early on to Germany to New York with him he, he fought I think in Atlantic City and the Ricky Hatton story just snowballed uh, he was probably of all the people I've worked with through the years the easiest to to be to be around as in the access he gave us was phenomenal it was like he was just a, a, a mate of ours you know we he sort of chucked the the house keys and you know he'd drive off somewhere and chuck the house keys to us and he'd say go and make yourself a brew I mean he was he really was you know incredible in that way and and he just the support he had I mean it snowballed it was um it started in the sort of Withenshaw forums and the uh, you know, the small arenas, the 9X or the GMX, and, and then it, it went into, you know, the Manchester Arena, and, you know, we had 10, 15,000, but before too long, it was, you know, almost 20,000 and standing room only. And then he took, you know, 30, 40,000 to Vegas for the Mayweather and the Pacquiao fights. It was uh, it was unbelievable, and I, I don't know, I reckon Ricky probably had had a pint with half of the uh, the fans in the Manchester Arena because they, they all felt they knew him, even if maybe they didn't. So, yeah, great times, and of course we've had the Frotch Groves number one fight here, we've had David Hay fight here a few times, there's been brilliant times, and then I, I sort of looked down the list and... I love the tales of Michael Gomez and Anthony Farnell and Michael Brody and those guys who one or two forget about, but they were they were an institution in Manchester. Yeah, terrific times, and there's been pockets. You know, Sheffield, Manchester, London's had time. We've been in Cardiff a lot as well. The Welsh uh, love their boxing. Um, up in Scotland in Glasgow with, you know, the likes of Scott Harrison and before him Gary Jacobs and Alex Arthur and Ricky Burns. And so there's been patches all over the UK to add to, obviously, the adventures we've had in, in America and all around the world. But, um, yeah, something special about both Manchester and Sheffield, and it's been interesting to come back there recently. And, yeah, you, you don't often go down memory lane, but it's nice to once in a while. It's interesting when we talk to fighters because when we go back to their early days, they're generally the ones that, that see them really light up, that really bring a smile to their face because they were kind of simpler times. So I wonder whether it's the same for you in the, the last 10 years you've been head of boxing uh, and there's a lot of huge money, financial decisions involved in that, a lot of responsibility. Was, was it... Was it the best times almost in the 90s when you're a younger man and, and uh, less responsibilities and you're running around as you say getting this amazing access from these extraordinary athletes and that's, that's what makes boxing unlike other sports it's a good question Andy I, um, I only wanted to be a commentator when I was a kid you know it was uh, what I always wanted to do I was 10 or 11 and I, I love all sports and big Liverpool fan and I used to turn down the, uh, the volume on the television and whatever it was whether it was the football or the, the Formula One or the cricket or the, the horse racing. I was really into the sort of Grand National, things like that, or, or the boxing. Whatever it was, I, I turned down the, uh, the TV. I get out a little dictaphone and, and I, I do my own, you know, voice recordings, my own commentaries. And I drove my parents mad and my stepmom always said I used to sit in the back of the car and, you know, just drive her insane. And, you know, my mum was, became a big sports fan and, you know, my, my dad was in retailing and he was like, he didn't quite know what to make of it all, but that's what I always wanted to do. And, and I, I sort of went through school and, and university 
thinking, you know, I want to do something that, that gets me into that world. And so I did English and drama and I wrote match reports. I was never any good at sport. I, I did what I could. You know, I, I, I played in C's and D teams and four fifteens in, in rugby and you know, third 11s in cricket. But I was I was never any good. But what I was what I was good at was watching sport. And, uh, you know, so I just I always wanted to be a commentator. And, and I um, I sort of. I mean, I love boxing. That was always a, a, one of my many passions, as, as maybe as much as, as football and tennis as well was a big one for me. Um, but I guess, you know, the, the early memories I've got in boxing was, you know, I was a big Barry McGuigan fan. Um, I went to the McGuigan Pedroza fight at Loftus Road. I was 13. I sort of sneaked in and watched it from the back and and that was incredible. Um, I also was a massive Tommy Hearns fan. They were my two sort of heroes. And um, I cried the night the Hagler uh, beat him in, in those three pulsating rounds. And But, I, you know, I tried to commentate and, and do that, you know, after it had happened. So I sort of always wanted to do that. So, you know, I, I, I went to uni and after uni I worked in TV at CNN and at NBC, ironically now that we, we're partners with them, and, and ITN on the news desk. But it was always sport I wanted to do. And, and so when I went to Sky, which was nearly 26 years ago now, you know, I said to Vic Wakeling, who was the boss at the time, I said, look, I, I want to commentate. And he and Mark Sharman, who took me on, said, it, it's going to take you 10 years to do that. And I said, OK, well, I'll do it in five. And I think those early years were, you know, tremendously exciting. And, you know, to, to get back to your question of w- was it a sort of an easier time or a better time? In many ways, yeah. You know, you've, you, you're young and you're hungry and you, you want to go to everything. And I think that's still the same with all of us now around every boxing event. We want to sort of live and breathe it. But I think, yeah, maybe with less pressures on and, you know, without that um, executive producer, head of boxing, now head of boxing development hat on that I've got, you know, which is really important on the commercial side. Um, you know, I was a, a young, you know, junior. I was a young assistant producer a young reporter I was learning about television as much as I was learning about the world of boxing um you know I went around the uh, the gyms for a year with Barry McGuigan and um that was amazing I had to sort of look after him and help him with his scripts and stuff and I got a sort of insight into the boxing world and I think like we all have it it gripped us and it gripped me and it gripped Sky and there was only a couple of people on the boxing team when I started, me and Gary Norman, and Gary taught me plenty. And then we had a new um, boss, Chris Brown, who came in, and he ran the team for many years. And, you know, then I was off from sort of around the UK, around the world, and, yeah, living as a, as a reporter, a, as I say, young single man, just basically lapping it all up. And I had some incredible access, Andy, to some unbelievable fighters. And, you know, I was around Lennox Lewis. I was around... Roy Jones Jr. I was around Oscar De La Hoya almost throughout their their career. Some of these guys, Joe Calzaghe, I'd known actually from when he was thirteen or fourteen because I have Welsh connections down in Newbridge. So you know, I I knew about Joe and I sort of saw him through. I saw Ricky through, and you know, all these 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 great memories, fantastic and um, very very lucky. You know, at the back end of the Tyson years and the Ben and the Bruno years, and and obviously Prince Nassim Hamad, who I probably did. 200 interviews with and you know and we had our ups and downs but you know what he always fascinated me with his you know we we try to sort of outdo each other in interviews and it was great fun and yeah so there's a bit of me that goes back to those days and think yes it was it was it was a a a hell of a ride Andy and and you know it's not quite the same now um with the different hats on but um you know what I still love I still love the fighters and um I still love being six feet away from ringside and whether I've got a mic in my hand or I'm just watching it I I I just admire them so much and uh 
you know, I've got to know so many of them over so many years, and it doesn't matter whether they're a journeyman like Peter Buckley was of 400 odd fights, or uh, Brian Coleman, the lorry driver, or or whether it's you know uh, Floyd Mayweather, the greatest fighter I've ever seen live in the gym in the ring. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know. It's uh, I've got huge respect for all of them that get, that get into the ring. It's uh, they're a lot braver than I am, and uh, you know I'll always I'll always feel like that. And I also think they're incredibly uh, approachable sportsmen, and now amazing amounts of sports women as well. You know, with the likes of Katie and. Savannah and, and Clarissa Shields and so many coming through. Terry Harper, of course, wonderful story now. It's just you, you get access to them. You get close to them. And I think you get closer to, to, to fighters than any other sport. And I said, I still love my sport, all my sports. But, you know, you don't normally get that close to footballers or to, you know, maybe the Formula One drivers or to all the cricketers. But you get really close to fighters and you sort of live their journeys and breathe their journeys. And sometimes they're not always good. Sometimes there's bad news. Sometimes it's difficult. But you sort of live their lives. And um, it's just a, a privilege and a pleasure to be around them. Well, one thing we often say is that boxers get one career, whereas the rest of us in, 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 in the media, and if you're a trainer too, you get to take in many fighters' careers. So you, you, you lived his. Matt started, um, uh, and you saw it all the way through. So, Matt, do you remember the first time you met Adam, the first time that, that they came down to do a, a piece of feature on you? Because that's a big thing for a fighter. Yeah, that's a big so, thing. So my, we spoke earlier. So my second fight, I ended up being the live float. Uh, and I went on just before Ricky Hatton fought Justin Rousseau at the Wembley Conference Centre and I was boxing a guy who actually was a Romanian amateur champion I didn't even know this at the time but I remember thinking <laughs> he doesn't look like the stereotypical journeyman he's got his own shorts he's got a gown he's got a sponsor you know and I'm wearing his tiny 8 ounce Reyes gloves because I was a welterweight. away so and I'm walking up the steps now to the life flow and as I said Jason Hall had just been absolutely battered by Steve Moore and he's walking down the steps there's blood dripping off him his eyes are closing up and I remember just thinking well, this is different went out there and um, you know, knocked out this uh, guy in the first round and when I did the interview they called me for the interview uh, it, was a, you know, it was a really good knockout and there'd been a lot of hype around me turning professional that was ABA champion at 18 uh, you know all that sort of stuff and uh, Adam was the inter- interviewee interviewer sorry uh, at the time and uh, I remember the interview it was because um, like I it was live and I think, um, I don't know, sometimes I think when you're, a lot of people said how well I spoke after, and, uh, you know, I remember Frank Warren being as happy with my interview as he was with my knockout win, because, you know, it's, I suppose from a, a promoter's point of view, and it's not just about ability, but it's about marketability, and at that point, you know, I'd, I'd done the law degree, well, you know, I'd started the law degree, we dropped out of it, but, you know, I was ABA champion at 18, and I was, you know, pretty articulate, decent talker, so, you know, they were very much kind of, thinking you know pushing me towards you know the uh, a bright future so yeah um, that, that that was my i mean that i mean that's that's 2001 you know we're, we're you know nearly 20 years uh, later and we're, we're, we're uh, work colleagues now we're we're co-commentators <laughs> together so it's a, it's a funny old journey it is a funny journey i remember when matt i remember that interview actually and i remember that night very well it was a wembley conference center it was a great venue actually it was a small venue but it was a it was a really good one i, I remember actually it was a a, a big puncher from Belfast, a guy called Neil Sinclair, and I remember he got knocked down in a, a fight. I can't remember who it was with, but he got knocked down in the first round, and 
and it was early on in the evening and uh, I'm not sure if it was that bill or another bill but he got knocked down and uh, and I said oh that's not in the script or something like that and it wasn't he was meant to win it easily and he came up to me afterwards he said you know I couldn't hear anything and the crowd was really quiet because it was early doors but I could hear you saying you know that shouldn't have happened and you know I got up and I, and I knocked the guy out and I think that you know those sort of nights where you get really close and sometimes the fighters can hear the commentary and you know they, they react to it and we had that a wonderful night when Danny Williams won the British title against Mark Potter with, with a dislocated shoulder with one army not Mark Potter out and uh, that was a, a hat night when he struggled with John Thaxon actually with a bad cut but uh, you know that was a great venue and I remember meeting Matt and Matt was uh, uh, one of the, 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 the real hopefuls of Frank Warren's stable you know he had a lot of good young fighters at the time but what I liked about Matt was that you know I, I wish he'd finished the law degree because it was, he probably did through his career he learned more about, about law than he would have done the degree but I think you know he, he, he came over as this very sort of good looking and, and an articulate guy as well as being very exciting in the ring and, and for a for a broadcaster you know I was I was just a young interviewer at the time but you've always got your eyes on fighters like that and so I knew we'd have a, a great career with Matt and then they, they, they had this program early on called Fight School and, and, and Ian Dark who was my mentor Ian Dark was the best commentator in my opinion on any sport at any time of that era and, and, and I learned so much from working under Ian you know, he worked with Glenn McCrory and I worked with Jim Watt and you know, we, we always had the sort of second show but we, we always were around Ian and, and he was brilliant and you know I remember I remember him, uh, yeah, we went to the, the, the fight school sort of programs and, you know, one or two of these prospects were, were losing and he'd be, you know, crossing one off and we'd be looking at, so who's, who's left? And we thought, well, Macklin's going to do really well here. And then he came a cropper against a fellow called Andrew Facey, which was his lot, his first loss. And, you know, and it was like, at the time, it was like, my God, I was really disappointed because I thought, oh, I thought Matt was going to go unbeaten for ages now. I'm sure he did as well. But, you know, Brett, this guy was a, a tricky Brendan Ingle type fighter. And, you know, a loss is no big thing. And I remember Jim Watts turning around to me and saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. You have a loss, a couple of losses. And with Matt, it didn't matter because he went on to some fantastic things in, in boxing. He fought the very best and didn't, didn't win them all, but it didn't matter. And I think he learned probably a great deal from it. So, yeah, it was fascinating covering Matt's career. And um, I suppose it's probably right in the middle of of my journey because there was there was plenty before that and there's been plenty since but uh it's great that we've got him to to the other side i always knew he'd be a an excellent commentator and um he lives and breathes it and i think that's uh that's so important when you're doing um when we're doing you know our side when we're doing the sky work as as well as what happens obviously in in the thick of the sport you know you've got to be very close to it and uh and Matt is, he always has been. He's had a, a handful of trainers. If he hasn't had a handful of trainers, he's had every trainer under the sun. But, you know, he's learned that. He's had all sorts of promoters as well. And uh, it makes him uh, very, very intelligent on the fight scene. What, you just mentioned there, you know, getting really close to fighters' careers. And, and, and you see one of them pick up a defeat and you think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I was, I was really hoping you'd win. One of the challenges, I think, of having the kind of access that you had is that remaining not getting too close is probably quite hard um i've pretty much always been a commentator really but i did do quite a lot of reporting earlier on in my career but it was on different sports and on team sports where you just didn't get that close i mean it must be i think it's fair enough when you're covering someone like ricky hatton in a big fight against an international opponent you're not going to be biased but the audience will expect you as a network to want them to win legitimately and fairly or, or rather once they have to be pleased about it but what's it like when you follow someone like Ricky all the way through and then you see him beaten by Mayweather and then what happened to him against Pacquiao what's it like when you're so close to Nassim and then you see him 
beaten by Barrera. And then you see all the other things around that story that fall apart. Hey, 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 kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! It, it, it's a really interesting area. I mean, the, the whole sort of bias thing is very difficult because we've had a lot of criticism over the years for Sky Bias to certain fighters. You know, before it was Frank Warren and we had deals with Frank Maloney, Ricky Hatton, McKennessy, and obviously now it's been with Matram and Eddie for many, many successful years. And people think that all we care about is the, the Sky fighters. And, um, you know, it's difficult when you've got Anthony Joshua who sort of helps represent the company and he's a great ambassador. Or you look at Katie Taylor and, you know, she's done wonderful wonderful things outside of the ring as well as in the ring it's it's very difficult but you know I've always said and always maintained and I've learned that from from Ian and others you know Peter Bromley was my uh, late grandfather's best friend he was the racing commentator for BBC the legendary racing commentator and you know they they've they've taught me and John Motson as well gave me some very good early advice you know you cannot be biased when you pick up the mic you absolutely have to call it as you see it and when Matt and I called the Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz fight for example uh, last year uh, we went with the story you know Andy Ruiz shot the world and that was the big story and uh, you know is there a bit of you when you put the mic down you think well that's uh, that's interesting and how will that play out for the business and the company possibly but actually when you're in the thick of it all you care about is what is happening it's my job to describe the action it's Matt's job to analyze it and, and I think that that is really key important. But if you go back to someone like Ricky, who you get very yeah, close I meant to, on a more personal yeah, level. And, and when when that, you spend a lot of time with them, and he's young and you're young, and you're not that far right. apart in age, and listen, you know the family, and I, you, you, I think that's you know. right. When you Carol and Ray and Matt, and, and you know my mum was there all the time, and they, you know you do get very close to them. And and I think it was you know a great ride. I didn't think he beat Cossesu. And I think most people thought he wouldn't, and he did. So that was like a, a, a massive bonus um, for someone. You know, we could we could sort of all be at the after party and all that, and it would be a good story. But when it came to finding Floyd Mayweather, I personally didn't think Ricky was going to win. Um, and you know, and and a lot of people got got sort of carried away with the emotion. And I'm sure Ricky thought he, he'd win, and his close team and everyone else. But you know, I've always felt Floyd Mayweather was was an exceptional fighter, and Ricky Hatton, you know, an elite fighter or a very very good fighter. You know, but but there are levels to boxing, and, and I just think, you know, there's there are very few, you know, true superstars like your Muhammad Ali's, your Sugar Ray Leonard's, your, you know, possibly Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran type level. And then in our generation, you know, for me, Joe Calzaghe was the greatest fighter that we've, pre- we've uh, produced from the UK, probably since John Conti. And then before that, you've got to go way back, Ken Buchanan maybe. But I think that if you're looking at a, a fighter like Ricky Hatton, who's, a, who's an excellent fighter. But for me, it was all about the package you got with Ricky. It was the fans, it was the fun, it was the... It, 
body shots. It was the fact he got cut. It was always a story with Ricky and the fact that you could have a beer with him afterwards. But when he fought Floyd Mayweather, I felt, you know, Mayweather would probably be too good for him. And, and there's no disgrace with him losing to Mayweather and Pacquiao, two of the great fighters of his generation, two of the greatest. But, yeah, there is a, a, a little sadness, of course. It's someone you've taken a long way. And Nassim Hamad, I thought he beat Marco Antonio Barrera, having spent loads of time with Barrera in the snow of Big Bear and knowing that he was training ferociously hard for it. When, when Naz was messing about on, you know, in a, down in Palm Springs playing golf. And, and that, whether that would have made a difference who knows but but you know Naz Naz made some mistakes in his career and I think he could have been even greater than he was but yeah you do get close and 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 but you do also have fallouts and I had a big fallout with Naz you know we did a, an interview with him which uh, which Riath his his brother and manager didn't like it was a, a, a big eye-opening interview about Brendan Ingle and the relationship that that they had and, and 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 Naz was making you know really big points about it and it, it broke into the news and it was a big story and Naz was very disappointed with the way that we portrayed it we put it out on Sky and he didn't talk to me in Atlantic City and we had a bit of a bust up and you know so we, we made up and we move on and I think he learned about how the broadcasting world works and, and Naz and I were, were very very close in a way he was like you know Frank Bruno had Harry Carpenter it was like Ads and Naz and it was like and my dad sat me down after he said you got too close to him you got too close to your subject you've got to remember you've got to have that distance and I think ever since that moment as much as I've loved fighters and I've respected them I try and keep a little bit more of a distance the journalistic side but it is really hard and you know Matt these guys are, they're, they're great guys Jamie Moore and Matt had this unbelievable fight probably the best British fight we've ever had maybe Bar Arthur and Michael Gomez but it was a, it was a humdinger on Sky and I love Ricky and I love Matt and you know your heart's torn and I'm commentating and you've just got to see what you see and you know Matt was the one that was ended up in hospital <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> um, it's, it's you know when you talk, we talk about uh, getting to know fighters and that it's uh, I think that was a fight where pretty much everyone liked both of us you know what I mean anyone that liked Jamie Moore was probably going to like me because we were similar people similar and, and listen even similar in, in our styles a little bit you know aggressive body punching high tempo that type of thing and actually me and Jamie were friendly <laughs> I mean there was no needle there was it was a, a highly anticipated fight because you got two action packed fighters very much in their prime or, or not even in their prime still on the rise so we had massive expectations and I remember thinking you know, you're always talking to certain people. You, oh, what do you think? How to see it going? And, and I knew people don't want to say because, you know, even the ones that thought I was going to win probably don't want me to want to say that in case I repeat that. And Jamie heard it because they're friends with Jamie too. And, and vice versa, they're not going to want to say, well, I think Jamie's going to beat you. You know, it was like, it was one where I think, I can't remember a fight really that where I know so many people not only split in how they've seen it going, but probably split in who they wanted to win you know they're probably thinking oh Joe, I like both guys here I really don't want to pick a winner I think I can't you know I really I really felt that at the time but look what happened afterwards I mean they ended up you know one training the other they ended up great mates and I think that's what boxing's all about that even with you know two of the great fighters Marco Antonio Barrera and Eric Morales who I worked with for many years and you know, you, you, they, they gave us that incredible trilogy and they hated each other. I mean, it was there was it was one of the worst I remember. I mean, there's been there's been some bust ups between fighters over the years, but these two genuinely didn't like each other. And it went back to a, a football match they played when they were kids and there was a bad tackle that went in. I mean, it was, it, you know, you couldn't write it. I mean, literally, they've been almost sort of, you know, around each other their whole lives. And, and they and they detested each other with a passion. You know, Marco was a more middle class from Mexico City and Eric from a rougher part 
of Tijuana and you know they just there was bitterness between them you know what now they've made up their wives sorted it all out and the four of them go out for dinners and I just think that is incredible and then there's no sport like that that you can get that sort of that you're, you're intertwined you know the fighters they, they they feel each other's souls in there and, and I, I just think you know you you well it's the classic isn't it the bell rings and you hug each other I mean it just doesn't make a lot of sense but it's it's fantastic to see yeah. well, you're the, connected the, you're just connected well you are that, that, that kind of that sort of experience bonds you and one of the reasons why it would I, I, I'd imagine is because it's dangerous you know it's, it's, it's so very very real uh, and with that in mind a question for you have you at any point I think all of us I've said this on this podcast before I think all of us who make a living from boxing without taking the risks that he did, which is getting in there, will at some point feel conflicted by the fact that we're doing that because these people are doing this for our entertainment. We're making a living. One of them gets really badly injured. What happens to him or her will go on to the next fight. I mean, have there been times where you've had to wrestle with it? Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Absolutely. Um, I think you can't be human not to, and, and I think... The one thing that really pulled me to boxing, maybe more than some of the other sports, was the drama of the fact that it is life. And unfortunately, in occasions and unfortunately rare at times, it's it's death or it's a very bad injury. And I think that it's that whole sort of cycle uh, that... You know, you, you, you have to come to terms with. And I think that, you know, as in life, you know, I, I, I lost a, a very good friend of mine when he was 23 in a fire, tragically. And, and so I had a, a, that, that horrible taste very early of losing someone very close to me. And, and, and I think being around fighters, it's it's really hard. And when, when I first joined Sky... Um, it was in 1994 and, you know, full of beans. And we had the Chris Eubank World Tour and Lennox Lewis fights. And your first fight at the York Hall, Francis Ampofo, the little fella against Darren Fifield. And we were just, we were loving it. And uh, soon Frank Warren came over and we had this great stable. And Mike Tyson was on Sky. And we had Bruno McCall at Wembley and Collins Eubank and Naz against uh, Steve Robinson in Cardiff. But there was a, a horrible night um, up in Glasgow. Um, when there was a British title fight between James Murray and Drew Doherty. And Drew Doherty was with Tommy Gilmore, who I've always been very close to. And, and James Murray was sort of more the unknown. And, and I spent three days with James and his fiance before the fight. And we traveled, you know, we, we did a bit of filming around Glasgow and absolutely lovely couple. And they were using the money from this British title fight to put a deposit on a flat. And it was just, you know, they were starting out in life. And, uh, and the fight happened, and it was a horrible night. It was a night where there were uh, there were riots in the crowd. There was um, there was a, a rivalry, a football rivalry, and it spilled over. And it was a dinner show, and you know, it just it was a, a very very horrible atmosphere in there. And and it was a 
you know, a, a thunderous battle between Doherty and Murray. And at the end, James Murray collapsed tragically. And Mike Goodall was trying to sort everything out and, and get a stretcher in. And it was, it, was a, it was terrible. I mean, it was like, for those, I wasn't at White Hart Lane for the Michael Watson incident. But it, I suppose it was, that was my one. And it was, it was very soon after I joined Sky. It was a year in. And um, Friday the 13th, too. And, and it, was, it was, I mean, I, it was horrible. You know, the TV trucks were being shaken by fans or fans or drunken people who whoever it was a horrible night and James Murray was rushed to hospital and I and I I didn't I had to you know, had to leave we had to pack up the broadcast and go and I didn't know what would have happened to James Murray and you know over the next couple of days it was clear he wasn't going to make it and they they turned off the life support machine and and I really had to battle with myself at a very young age you know starting off and wanting to be a commentator in boxing whether I could do this um, and um, and what happened was I, I went up to see his mum a while afterwards and it was, you know, I was very, very nervous about it and I had to go and do an interview with her and, um, you know, it, it was, it, you know, time had, had, had passed slightly but it was still very raw and I went into the house and James Murray's picture was up on the wall and a haunting picture and his sister came out and she was the spitting image of him and then the mum came out and said, oh, how are you? And she was very very welcoming and I sat down and I started the interview and and I said to her you know what what on earth do you think of boxing now because boxing's taken your son away and she said to me boxing saved my son boxing saved my son from the streets of uh, of Glasgow from the estate that we that was drug infested and he would have died with a needle in his arm boxing gave him a way out I'll always love boxing I mean, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. A mother who'd lost her son at such a young age, so tragically, was saying this about the sport. But it gave me that sort of strength to say, okay, you know what? Boxing is good. Boxing does give a lot of young people a chance to to dedicate themselves to something. It is a risk. It is a risk. And, and we all take risks in different ways in life. And, you know, boxing is a very dangerous sport. And we've, we've you know, as you say, we're on the outside and it... There is a conflict sometimes when you see that and you see what, what fighters go through, but but they love it. And Spencer Oliver almost lost his life, you know, a few years after that. He's one of our great friends and, and colleagues. And and you ask him and he'll say, I'll do it every day of the week again and twice on Sundays. You know, these fighters are unbelievable and they've still got it. And I looked over at the weigh-in today when Scott Quigg was getting on the scales and I looked into Matt Macklin's eyes as he looked at Scott Quigg and I thought, you know what, he wants it again. He, he, there's still that fire in him. And you know what, I think that fighters are like that. You know, Carl Frost sitting me next to me at times when Golovkin gets in a ring and he's eyeing him up and I'm thinking, it doesn't leave you. And I, there are certain type of... Frost will still think he can be world champion when he's 93. I mean, he'll go to a weigh-in and he'll look at someone and he'll think, I could, I could have you, I could take you down. But just we were just talking. About, sorry, Matt, I just interrupted you. But we were talking earlier, asking Adam, is it is it difficult not to get too close? And does that work the other way around for fighters as well? Have there been times where you thought, you know, you see so much of a particular reporter or or whatever, and you think, yeah, like they're 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 definitely on my side. They're they're Team Macklin, and then maybe you lose a fight, and you think, oh, is anyone with Team Macklin? Is, is there a Team Macklin in the media? I mean, it must fighters must. You know, you form relationships too. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, early on, when I fought, when I, before I fought Andrew Facey, uh, you know, I was in the Times magazine, Sunday's Times magazine, the next big thing. I, Sky did a feature on me, like an hour of programs, you know, the, the next big thing. Uh, 
you know, I was really being, you know, the Boxing News did a big two-page feature on me saying, you know, the British De La Hoya, and they were really giving me the big build-up, and, you know, I was, like I said, I was ABA champion 18, I had certain probably, you know, marketability, star, star qualities, let's say, and, um, you know, then I lost the fight, and I remember being up, going down with Frank Warren, and, you know, the training situation had been a thing, I turned pro, really, th- I thought I was going to turn pro with Robert McCracken, but then I ended up turning with Frank Warren, so that didn't happen, next thing I was boxing in six weeks, and I was like 18 or 19, living at home. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll train with the Lynches, why not? And we'll see where that goes a little bit. And, you know, I had seven fights in my first 10 months. I was very busy straight away. And uh, but, but after you lost to Facey, did yeah, you feel so, like you were turned on? Yeah, oh, yeah, so, so, I mean? so, here, so, I'm getting to, so when, when that happened then, I went down and had the meet with Frank Warren. We knew we had to turn trainers. So he said, you know what? Billy Graham, he, he wasn't keen on Billy Graham because Frank and him clashed. But he knew why I wanted to go there. I got on really well with all the lads. I had a pretty good relationship with Billy even though I'd never trained with him or anything like that but I got on with him and I remember being in the they had the press conference or the weigh-in for the fight against Ben Taki and it was in Lucid which was in the print works and I remember being down there and I remember being kind of brushed past to go and interview <laughs> brushed out the way to go and interview Martin Conception and I remember just thinking Wow, <laughs> that didn't take long, <laughs> you know. And it, you know, but it's the fickleness. But I know we'll say, you know, but they're the media, and I've been beaten, and he's hot right now. He's listen. He's had two knockouts against two guys he's supposed to knock out, but nonetheless, he's the flavour of the month. He's the new kid on the block. He's hot right now, and you, you got beat. You'd does it does it take a little while to get used to it though? I mean, I'm one fighter I've been sick. Yeah, I'm not putting sugarcoat with this. It knocked me sick. You know, I just thought, wow, but. You know, it, it thickened my skin. It hardened me up. It showed me the reality as well. And then as I've come growing up and got a bit mature, and you realise it ain't personal. It's just the way it is. It's like the promoters, you know, the fighters thinking, oh, when I'm winning, the promoter answers the call. Yeah, because you're winning. What, what can he do if you're losing? Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you, you end, eventually you see it from everyone's point of view. I mean, I made the joke the other week, you know, about if I write a six on here, I'm going to see a six, you're going to see a nine. It's, you, you gotta, as you go through it, you learn the different points of view. It's not personal. And the other thing is that all fighters have different journeys, and that's the that's the most interesting. Obviously, Johnny, you know, lost ten or thirteen amateur fights, lost his first three pro fights. No one wanted to know him at all, and it took him years and years before the media even took any interest. And you know, even then, he wasn't exciting in a ring at times. And he thought, well, but then he started becoming successful, and that became a sort of great new story. We're always looking for a narrative. You know, Amir Khan, you know, flew out of the of the Olympics, and he was, you know, he was on terrestrial, he was on ITV, and he was building. He comes over to Sky, we do this massive thing. Is Amir Khan going to join the legends on on Sky Sports box office? And he gets turned over in 54 seconds um, in Manchester, here in Manchester, and you know by Bradis Prescott. I've fought on that card. <laughs> that, Con- I, mean, Colin, I remember Colin Hart, who's one of my great friends and the greatest, one of the greatest sort of writers for many, many years, is saying, you know, he's finished. It's, it's, it's over. Amir's finished. You know, in one loss, and obviously he wasn't. And there was a, 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 a you know a, a big career beyond that. But suddenly you sort of look at each other in the corridor and think oh my god it would make a massive mistake but then it's about the resilience of these guys you know then he was out to, to Freddie Roach he was he was rebuilding he was he made his sacrifices and that's what I love about fighters that they, they they can do that that it's you know even if you have a bad night you know or you're walking down you're being brushed past the media are not interested you know everyone's got a story to tell I mean there's probably I could count on one hand not even that the fighters that I haven't liked over 20 
over almost 30 years in this sport. You know, difficult ones. Herbie Hyde was pretty tricky. Eamon McGee was truculent, but I ended up getting on really well with him because we love Liverpool. We were both Liverpool fans. But actually, beforehand, he was an absolute nightmare to interview. You know, he was so rude. He was like... And then actually, I got a load of respect for him because that's the way he, he, he got himself in ready for battle. And you've got to sort of... You've got to adapt to the different characters. Matt was very easy, for example. Jamie Moore, always easy. And interestingly, how they've sort of turned out, and Jamie trains top fighters now. Matt's a, a big part in broadcasting. But, you know, it's, it's that life after sport, which is so crucial as well. And you, you want those fighters to sort of go on and have structure and have really good futures. And, you know, it's interesting to see sort of their journeys up to a point, but they, they need to carry on that. And that's, that's an area which I'm fascinated with. And I, I really hope that more and more sort of are, are looked after and can, can sort of live really good lives afterwards because it's, um, it's a tough, brutal sport and probably bar sort of Ricky and maybe Naz, the one guy I got really close to in the States was Diego Corrales. And, and we were like, I mean, you know, there's me, a sort of very lucky to have a, a good education, lived in Hampshire Garden Suburb, all of that. You know, my dad worked bloody hard to get me that. And he, he was from a working class family in Leeds. But I was I was lucky. I got a, a good start in life in that, in that way. And, and there I was. And I was with a guy in, in Diego Corrales who was a wild man, who was from almost from the streets, and he'd come through, and he had he almost had nine lives by the time he was 21. He'd been in and out of jail. He had he was a brilliant fighter, wonderful amateur pedigree. Then he was getting into trouble. He had loads of kids. It was complete mad connection with me and him, two total opposites. But it worked, and we just got each other, and we had a phenomenal relationship, probably too close for interview and fighter. And then, you know, he, he, he beat um, in that amazing fight, Louis, Jose Luis Castillo, in the, probably the greatest fight I've ever called, ever commentated on. And, and you know, we, after that, we got even closer. And then, my God, I lost him at 28. He, he died. He, he was in a motorbike crash. He was drunk. He, was, he, was, he flipped over in Vegas. I mean, I, was, I, I cried buckets when I was told that news, Andy. And, and so it's, you are living these, these sort of parallel lives to these guys. And... There's some good times and there's some really hard times as well. And it is, it, it does test you. It really does. But there's something about boxing, something about these fighters that keep you grit. And it's something that I don't think you can ever get, get quite away Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. No, I absolutely 100% agree with that. And, and it, as you said, Matt, it's, it's, I completely understand when fighters take any kind of criticism personally. I, I say what I say on, on commentary and, and, and elsewhere and have no issue if anybody wants to discuss any of it with me. I know a few fighters who I won't... The other week, we, someone I called up Cal Gafai to, uh, to get him on the podcast. <laughs> and he's, you know, I know Cal since he was a kid. Shame, him and Shane went to box each other a couple of times. I think Rooney did box him a few times. And uh, 
he says to me, yeah, yeah, he said, but uh, I don't really like that Andy Clark. <laughs> and I said, oh, 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 how come? I said, Andy's a good fella. And he said, no, he, do, he doesn't like me. And I was like, <laughs> I said, what, what, you, what, what do you mean? He said, no, he definitely doesn't like me, you know, in his commentary. And I said, Carl, let me just tell you now, I guarantee you and promise you without any shadow of a doubt that he doesn't dislike you at all. I've commentated on any fights he's done with you, you know, you got to understand, Carl. We're calling fight after fight after fight. There's nothing personal. I said this, and it's it's hard for me sometimes. And I'm, I'm about to. I'm commentating about you. I've known you since you're a kid. You're from Birmingham. Blah blah blah. You know, if you're boxing poorly, I've got to say you're boxing poorly. You know, I'm there to be a critic, not a cheerleader. Not there to like tear you apart. But you know, I'm definitely not there to be a cheerleader. And as much as I want you to win, I. I've got to just see it as two people that are strangers and call it as I see it because I've got to as much I've got to look at my own credibility. I, you know, I enjoy what I do and I keep doing it. And if I'm just basically talking my pals up every week, I ain't gonna last long. Yeah, and that's that's it. And, and and we chatted to him, and and I've had other fighters, you know, take me to task in the right way. Just you know, come up and talk to me about it, and and that's totally fine. But the only thing I, I would like you just said like I would ever say to them is do not ever think it's because I don't like you as a person it's got nothing to do with you as a person I'm friendly with everyone but I don't I, I can't I couldn't say that I would I can't be your friend friend as in you know a real it, it can't be that way no and, and funnily enough Adam's here and he's talked about Nassim and, 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 and Ricky and, and, and actually Adam would have been friends with Ricky like he'd have been we'd had nights out he'd have been to his family home he'd have known the whole family he'd been to Billy Graham's that, gym and that's exactly why I asked because it, I, yeah. I've never really been in that situation and, and when you're no, that did. close and, and I think especially in those early days at Sky where we were doing so much and we were you know we, we had the boxing and we had all this access but actually Sky was quite a small place you know Sky Sports had 30, 40, 50 people in when I first joined and you know we were building it up so we had loads of sort of airtime to go and do these pieces and go around the world and sort of, you know, really sort of experiment. So we did follow them. I mean, I must have done 15 Lennox Lewis training camps and, and I don't know, 20 Oscar De La Hoya ones. And, you know, you were in these, were in their lives. And although it was, you know, it was very much professional and we, you know, we knew our boundaries and I always tried to give the fighters their time to train and whatever, you do get close. It is, it is hard. And, and when you hear that, that, oh, some fighter doesn't like the way you're speaking about them, but it happens. And it is, it, it's not personal. It's never personal. And it's, it's about the way that you, uh, you look at the criticism or you, you accept it or whatever. But I remember like Carl Frock says, you know, why is Jim Watt always commentating on me? He hates me. Jim never hated Carl. It was nothing to do with that at all. You know, Jim was just, he was always, always, always going, oh, I've got my hands down. And, you know, let him try. Well, you have said, got you your hands have, down. I've got your hands down, you know. It's, but Carl's, Carl's a funny one because, you know, I, um, as I said, I, I have a long history with Joe Calzaghe and, and, I, and I'm n- no biased here. I just fundamentally believe he's one of the greatest fighters we've ever produced you know three ABA titles at different weights 46 and 0 he he was exceptional and I think that because he didn't want to come out of Newbridge quite early enough and I think some of the the legends of his division had sort of you know passed their sell by a little bit and he missed out on that sort of you know he beat Eubank which was amazing but he missed out on the sort of Ben Collins era and but I think and Watson but I think that that Joe was was really really good Um, but you know when I had a chat with Carl a few years back and Carl said to me, well, I should have fought Joe Kazai, I'd have licked him. And I said, my opinion, my friend, but I I don't think you would have done. I think you would have been 
absolutely outclassed. I think you would have been taken apart. You, Adam, if you'd said to him, he would have backed you up and smashed you to bits. I would have absolutely loved that. Andy, you're Andy, about Andy, Andy, do you know what I said to him? He said, in my opinion, I think you have this totally the wrong style for Joe. I think Joe would have boxed rings around you. I think he, I thought, you know, not maybe not a Lacey before this, but I think he would have beaten Carl fairly comfortably. And Carl said to me, this is five, six years ago, he said to me, you can't say that. I said, well, I just have. He said, you can't say that. And like, literally for about two hours, he was just berating me and all my opinions and all this sort of stuff. About two weeks ago, we're sitting around ringside and we're talking about Cal Zaggy again. And Carl goes, yeah, I think, you know, I think he might have... You might have got the better of me if we'd fought. So you know what? Fighters mellow and fighters get away from the sport. And they, they're not... You've got to have that mentality when you're fighting or when you're very close to the game. That You, you know, when Matt went in to fight Gennady Golovkin, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to get folded over by a body shot and lose. I'm thinking, okay, I'm in with the best, but I've got to go for this and I've got a chance here. That's what you've got to think. I, I think when you're fighting... I think all fighters are, are, are guilty of this. We're all pretty hypersensitive. You know, you take things very, like I said, personally. I, I totally understand that. I, I completely understand why. How, how can you not take it personally? We, and, we spoke, because, and because you're on your own in a ring and it's such a bare place to be. It's and the most personal so thing ever. From, from us. It's the most personal thing ever no, no, invented I, I, by man. I mean, it's just, no, no, it and, just and, is. You know, I'm retired four years now. And I've, but I've stayed in the game managing, you know, and, and obviously the last few years, particularly really busy uh, with Sky commentating. And you see it from the other point of view. You see it from the other side and you realise all those times you thought such and such a one, you know, one is just when he's like, he just wasn't even thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, this thing that's so personal to you, you think this guy's out to do me. He's not even thinking about you. Do you know what I mean? Like, or until he's, he might just have just got the script that day or something. He might not even have known you were on the card. You know, I'm, I'm talking about when you're doing a six rounder on the undercard, the, the guy commentating on that fight. Might not, might not even have known I was fighting until on the day. Do you know what I mean? But in my head, because he spoke negatively, he wanted me to get beaten. That's, fighters can be a bit mad that way. <laughs> it certainly can, and I think, and that is the attraction. But I mean, like, it's interesting now seeing the boom in women's boxing, okay, and 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 getting to know the the ladies, and that's fantastic. I was fortunate enough to mentor Savannah Marshall as a Sky Scholar um, from 2012, and she she was favourite to win gold in the Olympics. She was a world uh, uh, champion. She'd beaten Clarissa Shields, and she went into uh, to London 2012, and she she froze. And it, and it all went wrong and, and we we were sort of tasked with trying to build her back and, and bring her back through the, the next few years as a scholar with Sky and you know you get to know you get to know these people so well and it's like you just want the best for them it's like you know I'm sure you want the best for Cali Afi whatever Cal's saying because he's the one getting in there and, and doing that I actually I, I told Eddie about funny enough about Cali Afi I think Cali Afi is going to be a world champion I think he's going to be absolutely amazing that was my opinion and Eddie says, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I really think so. And Cal then did become a world champion. I thought, oh, God, you know, I got that one right. But the other week, the other night, when Matt and I were commentating in Dallas, he got outclassed. You know, he wasn't good enough. I mean, he, he fought the, the wrong fight. He should have used to utilize his skills, his jab. His, you know, he went into the pocket. He fought totally the wrong fight. Chocolatito got on a rhythm, but he absolutely took him to school. And you have to say it. And that was probably really hard for Matt. But as much as I lauded Calify and that, well done, he's become the world champion that I sort of saw early on. He, he wasn't good enough at that level against Chocolatito. And that's, that's just what you've got to call. Well, to take it into a slightly different direction then, you got the head of boxing job in 2010, 
2000, yeah, 2010. Just before uh, David Hay for Audley Harrison. That was our first pay-per-view. And um, we all looked at each other after that thinking, is this the end? But it was only the beginning of Eddie Hearn, well, uh, I, unbelievably. Well, I remember, actually, I remember coming down to sort of do a preview piece for the Magnificent Seven uh, in Liverpool. Oh, no, was it the first one in Birmingham? Well, I was meant to fight Darren Barker. I was one of the. I can't remember. It was the first Magnificent of the second, but that was kind of the start of your your journey, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. It was the Magnificent Seven. I think it was just after that we uh, we, we we got. I think you were meant to fight Darren Barker, and and the, the that's right. Yeah, and and there was a few changes on that one, but we moved on and we did the the Hay Harrison fight, which obviously you know Audley froze and and and, and was. And Audley's a great guy, and I love Audley to pieces. And he was, you know, he really taught the talk so much that Eddie Hearn stood up on a table the night before, and he gave a sort of, you know, Chichillian speech, a bit like, a bit like Audley said, "I'm, I think he was going to put all his his money on on Audley." You know, anyway, listen, Audley didn't didn't win the fight. He didn't throw many punches. We all know what happened. That was a sort of sort of quite a, quite an interesting start to it all. But yeah, so it's been, you know, it's been ten years of that where. You know, I, um, I I had to sort of quickly learn how to to look after a team, which I'd never managed before. And, and I um, have, from having just been, I want to be a commentator. That's all I ever wanted to do. I was like managing a team. And then I was sort of helping out on the commercial front of trying to sort of plot my way through very, very difficult waters with lots of different promoters. And well, you're swimming with the sharks then, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think one of the first big things we did was was look at Carl Froch. And, and I remember Barney Francis, who was the former... MD of Sky Sports and, and, and a brilliant guy and, and, and fantastic for us because a huge boxing fan. Um, so he really wanted it to work. And we had a whole load of good promoters, but we had a lot of different shows all over the country. You know, we were traveling everywhere. People weren't really watching. They were in leisure centers and we we're spending a lot of money. And we, Barney decided and we chatted and Barney decided at that point he was going to put his, um, his eggs in one basket with Eddie and a matchroom. And that's where it sort of began and, and developed from. Um, and I remember we had a couple of pay-per-view fighters at the time, probably David Hay and Amir Khan. And one we didn't have was Carl Froch. And, and Carl was, you know, he'd been on Sky in the early days. And I never really thought he was going to going to make it actually I thought he was going to be okay but I never thought he'd do what he ended up doing um, and uh, suddenly he, he went in the super series and uh, the super six was it whatever they call that the first one and, and he was fighting everyone the Andre Durrells and the, and the I mean it was a it was a it was a big you know obviously Andre Ward was in it and Kessler and it was a big tournament but it was nothing to do with us and it was very tradey really and he was sort of the front page of Boxing Monthly and whatever but none of my mates knew who Carl Froch was it was it Carl Froch Carl Froch they're not who he was and I, I went to Barney and I said I think we really need to get this guy I said he's the best yeah. the best fighter in the world really for Britain at the moment and we need to get him on Sky and he goes well you know this it's going to be very hard that because we've got our box office you know slots or whatever and so one of the first things I did was I you know and, and Carl was was tied up at the time but you know he you know he, he we talked a lot and we 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 ended up no, he came to Sky eventually when his contract was was he was able to, and he you know he he had the semi-finals and the and the final of the um, of the Super Six on Sky, um, and I remember we worked really hard to try and get to get him on, and and ultimately it was his decision and Matram with the promoter, but you know we wanted him on Sky and and he came on Sky and he he had the good fortune actually of going on Sky Sports first because Ricky had done that Sky Sports many times build up build your fan base then you go on box office. Um, doesn't always happen like that anymore but that's what it did and Carl Froch you know came on Sky Sports he had a few times and then 
we, we put him on box office when it came back, actually, for the Mikel Kessler and the, and the Groves fights. And that was the right time because he built an audience. But in those first couple of fights we had with him, I was very worried. Glenn Johnson, tough fighter. I couldn't make it out to Atlantic City for that fight. We just had our, our, our third kid. Little Tilly was two days old and she was, you know, I was nursing her literally during the night and watching the Frotch fight. And first two rounds, he did nothing against Glenn Johnson. You go back and watch that, Andy. He did absolutely nothing. And Rob McCracken, you know, never gets that animated, but Rob McCracken was sort of having a little word with him in the corner. You know, it's not a 15-round fight, Carl. I'm thinking, I'm throwing things at the telly. I'm throwing cushions. I'm throwing whatever I get my hands on. Saying, Carl, we haven't gone through this for you. You know, are you going to wake up? Are you going to fight? So, you know, you, you have those sort of moments. You think, have I made this massive mistake? You know, is he not going to make it? And then he loses to Andre Ward. And you think, you know what? Maybe I'll have. It's not the right decision. I think he's not going to beat Butte. What does he do? He goes and stuns Lucian Butte in Nottingham, one of the great fights on Sky night, Sports. Though. And that was the complete turning point. But an- another interesting night, another interesting night was... Um, but that's the journey of boxing. Yeah, you it, know, is. The, it every, is. Every time... A big fight, son. I mean, the, the ever the ever changing landscape. It's like this could change. This could go this way or this way. It's constantly well, dark. Jim Watt and I went for dinner the night before Frotch and Butte, and we spent as we always used to. We always chatted. Oh, we're we doing now. We're chatting the fights the night before, and for about three hours, over one of the longest dinners I remember before uh, on the eve of a fight. We went round and round in circles, and we could not make a case for Carl Frotch. Not one of the three of us. And look what happened. Another interesting night, though, and it's one that all three of us were, were, in, were involved in on, on different sides of the Atlantic, was, was Amir Khan against Lamont Peterson, because you were over there at, in Washington for the fight. We were both in Peter Lee. Um, we've been covering Ashley Theophane against Ben Murphy at, up, uh, up, yeah, up in Peter Lee with Glenn McCrory. And I know that a lot of work had gone into getting Amir back onto Sky. And we're watching it, and we know it's close, and there's the point deductions, and the man in the hat, and and all those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, that was one of my first ever commentary gigs with uh, Ian Dark and uh, Jim Watt. That was Washington DC. All of a sudden, he's lost, and I kind of saw it at first hand, and I hadn't known you very long then at all. But I remember you saying to Charles, who was up there with us, one of the production team, you don't understand how much work has gone into getting Amicon back onto Sky. And then he loses, and then the rematch is set, and then Peterson fails a drug yeah, and test. And then Frotch Ward was the week after. Fight. Yeah. Frotch Ward was the week after. It's a crazy, crazy business. You know, and I'm very lucky to have had Barney to, to support us through that because, you know, boxing, we could eat, you know, we've stayed in it, Andy. We've stayed loyal to the sport every year that, that, that we've been in and, in whatever degree, you know, it's, it's buoyant and everybody wants to be part of it now and we embrace the competition. There's a lot of it out there and it's great. Boxing's hot again, but there were times when it just wasn't and, and Barney could have turned around and said, you know what, let's forget about it. But he was a real fight fan and, and, and he, 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 he supported us. He supported our love. You know, the team's always been great at Sky. We've always had a, a great teams that have really put a lot of passion in and really, you know, we're the, we're the front people, but the, the, the engine room behind us is phenomenal. You know, they, they just, they, it's, it's blood, sweat and tears. We're all passionate about it. You know, we, we, we shouldn't work 24-7, but we sort of do. And then we came across a guy in Eddie Hearn who does work 24-7 as well. And as a promoter, I mean, I speak to him every day pretty much. And, and, and it's to have that passion and to, to want to do it as well. And, of course, he's got his agenda as a promoter. We've got ours as a broadcaster. But to have that sort of, you know, you, you fuel off each other. And, you know, and there's, there's down times and then there's up times. And you sort of, you know, and then you can sort of bond on the fact that we, we need to get back and see the kids. You know, we need to see the family. You know, we can't 
can't forget that and it's it's tough and and to have but to have sort of comrades in 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 the trenches with you and whether that's you know your team the passion of, of sky boxing and the great team that we've got here or you know your promoters and the people the great team at matchroom that we work with and and before that others you know frank maloney's and the frank warrens and whatever everyone it, it, there is something about it and there's this wonderful night where you've been to both of you uh, i'm involved in it quite heavily because i'm on the boxing writers committee but it's the boxing writers dinner where we honor the young boxer of the year every year and it's in the savoy it's in sort of mid-october it's a monday night and it's a night where everybody wants to be there because a truce. it's a truce you know it's literally when the knives are down and the pens are, are down as well you don't you don't really write about it too much you know it's turned a little bit more media now everyone wants to know the young box of the year is but it was always traditionally 350 people in a room all there for the fighters all there to honor the fighters and it was, you know, Frank Warren on one side, Eddie Hearn on another. You might have Don King for a guest appearance. Yeah, all sorts of people have been through those, those, those dinners. And it's amazing how you actually can chat to people before the next day you get back to sort of business. But it's, it's, and that's what boxing does. It brings you together. And, and it, the, the Frank and Eddie thing's really interesting at the minute because they may well have to work together on Fury and AJ in the next year or so, or hopefully maybe sooner. And, you know, they've never spoken to each other. And, and the Hearns and the Warrens have done their separate thing. But do you know what? Deep down, they must have a lot of respect for each other, even though they won't admit it, even though they'll slag each other off, even though they'll say, you don't know nothing about boxing. You know, Ultimately, they've both lived through it. And they, they know that boxing is what is the core that has made their business, certainly for Eddie and certainly for Frank over the years. And yeah, you know what they are? They're great entertainers. They're great raconteurs and they're bright they're bright people. You know, Frank's a survivor. Eddie's the was the new kid on the block, not quite so much now, but he's the one that's there. But Frank's fighting back with BT and he's got fury and it's it's great, you know. Frank's movies, a character. Movies should be made. And you know what, Matt? They always are in boxing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's full of characters. Yeah, it is, 100%. And, and I think listeners to Macklin's take won't be expecting us to get too much into the promotional wars and the network situations because there's only so much that Adam can say about that and uh, and it can tend to be quite a dry subject and so not really one that that suits us all that well no, but you, you end up losing the casual because you go if you start going into it that you, you're going to lose them because they're not going to understand they don't, they don't know the dynamics the histories the the wider landscape so it's you know Sometimes you think, oh, I can't explain this in a 30-second conversation. You know, you know what I mean? I, I think what we can say, guys, is that boxing is probably in the best place it's been, maybe in all my time at Sky and, and, and in the sport. I mean, there was great times when I joined with, as I say, with the end of Nigel Benn and Frank Bruno and Chris Eubank. But, you know, you go back and you had the, you know, Tyson, Bo, Holyfield, Lewis eras. You had the Ben, Eubank, Collins, and 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 you know, and Frank was was absolutely in the middle of that. And Eddie's brought on sort of Anthony Joshua and Carl Froch and Kel Brook and, and and all these guys. And you know, but I think now if you look at it today and you look at some of the matches that are being made, you know, we've just had Fury Wilder on a on a down levels, but we've got Quig and Carroll tomorrow night, which is a uh, you know a great domestic fight trade fight whatever you call it but it's a great fight you've got you know you've just made the two the uh, two first two british women to fight for a world title you've made the katie taylor serrano fight we know there's fury wilder three they're talking about aj fury 
These are massive fights. That and, and, sports and, in good shape. And, and over and over a number of years, you know, they, they would have been Frank would have kept his, Eddie would have kept his, you know, Bob Arum his, Don King his, and you know, Al Heyman's got a load of MTK have got a load of fighters. But fights are being made much more, and I think you've got a the Super Six, the Super Series. There's a lot of things that have helped that, but you're seeing much better matches, I think, certainly over the last three or four years than, than you have before. Well, so a lot has changed over the well, last for a long time. A lot has changed over the last few years, hasn't it? Because I remember the first thing I did for for Skyboxing was late 2011, and we were at half-empty leisure centres a lot of the time, and, and I was delighted to be there. But I was looking around at it because I'd been in the industry for a while at that point, and I couldn't quite work out how some of it was was making it onto TV. And now we're <laughs> we're, we're at arenas, and that's not, I'm not I'm not dissing the fighters or the cards, just as the spectacle if you like I just I didn't it didn't seem to really add up to me but but now of course it's it's an altogether different situation no I mean the the, the, the transformation at Sky since Adam Eddie and Barney said and I remember because was, that was in my say peak era you know and I remember thinking there was no budget the, you know the Premier League had took the big jump up to the money the right so it basically sucked all the budget out of Sky so now there wasn't much money around and really if I hadn't have been if I had had the fight with Stern which had been on American television I'd done the deal with DiBella who had Sergio Martinez and I had those HBO. five fights on HBO you know I, I probably wouldn't have earned a lot of money you know that, those were the fights at the end of my career which really you know that, that, that was the, they were the money fights for me really but it was like you know once before me there was loads of money at Sky in the WBU Ricky Hatton days and after me when the pay-per-view thing came up there was loads of money and, and now there's even more money <laughs> I feel like who yeah. was that who was it Max Bear or, or, right or Jim, there, Jim, Jimmy Braddock in the Great Depression That's I'm like, it, yeah, Jimmy Depression Braddock. remember me I was right in the middle of that you know. I'm a Jimmy Braddock <laughs> and, and look at it now you know DAZN are, are, are about to enter the UK and what have they chosen they've chosen boxing you know broadcasters are choosing boxing streaming services are choosing boxing it's hot again people want to be there it's not just the trade fans the casual fans have come out you know and you know great. Andy Ruiz Anthony Joshua uh, rematch in Saudi Arabia did about one and a half million views I think was it buys on Sky you know Tyson, that many. or whatever it was you know it was a lot now Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua I'm telling you now will do well over two million buys you know that is you know that's, that's probably six or seven people in each household you know what I mean? So actually, there's probably about 12, 15 million people in the UK without watch that fight live. You know, boxing, when it gets it right, when the right, the best fight, the best, and all the rest, it's as big as anything. But what, what's, what's, what's brilliant about it, too, is that... It stops traffic, doesn't it? On I, nights like that. I, I think one of the reasons why people are drawn to it in, term, in terms of networks and broadcasters is also because it is... It is still the Wild West. Like, you know, you can't buy the you can buy the Premier League or try to once every three years. NFL, I don't know what their rights deals are. Maybe five, maybe ten. NBA, boxing. If you've got some money, if you walk in with a sack of cash, people will sidle up to you and say, "Hello, what you got there? What, what yeah. you, you're to, you're gonna, you know, I got six months left on the contract, but I can go in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what, one thing, one thing I do want to know is, um, and you don't have to. I don't think you could name names really, but when you take up a new position like the one you did, um, it's like going from being one of the players to being the manager. And I'm not talking about within the team, but but across the industry, you will be you'll be seen differently. You'll be treated differently. And was it the case that there would be people who, prior to that, you would think, "Oh, wow, brilliant, it's you," and then you'd see them and you think, "Oh, fuck." It's you. 
Do you see what I mean? <laughs> People you would gravitate towards before, you would turn around and hide from once you got the new role. It, it was a real eye-opener. Um, as I said, I never wanted to really manage people. I, I, I try and be a nice guy, and I think sometimes managers have to be a bit tougher. Um, so it's, you know, you want to be everyone's friend, and it's, that's, that's hard. And, uh, you know, it's, I think, think what I wanted to do right away for the boxing team was to let them flourish and let them, let them breathe and let them get on with their own thing. I, um, you know, my, my way of working was, you know, I never watched a clock I never you know worried if they weren't in the office because I knew I knew that the guys and girls I had were fantastic so I trusted them just to get on with it and they did and they were amazing and then there have been some fantastic stories from Sky Sports Boxing because they have worked so hard and uh, so I've, I, I've let them breathe I've I let them get on with it and uh, you know and, and they they're a lot better than me you know I think that the, the key I learned very quickly was to surround yourself with brighter people than you and more talented people and uh, you know and, de- and learn to delegate quickly and and I think then I could have a sort of look at what was what was around there and I was lucky enough that Barney made that decision to go with Matchroom um, but suddenly you know you get you get a lot of people who are not happy about that you know we were working with Frank and Frank Maloney and Ricky and, and, and all, as I said, Ricky were really close and suddenly his contracts come to an end as a promoter. I and, forgot about that. Yeah, and, that's, that's... And, that's, and that's hard. And suddenly, you know, it's not quite the same relationship as you once had. And, you know, every time I see Ricky now, it's great, but it's not quite what it once was probably. And so, you know, you, you learn to sort of move on and adapt to the different situation. But the key for me is that I work for Sky. You know, I work for Sky Sports and uh, I've been very proud to have done that and I've worked very hard over a number of years to do it. I've been very lucky to, to have had the breaks I've had. Um, but, you know, my father always taught me and my mum, both of them, you know, that, uh, you know, you, you, you get in early, you work late. You know, it's that, it's that work mentality and that, you know, that has a knock-on effect into your, your private life and your family life and it's difficult and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard that. But, and then when you're being criticised and, and you read the forums or online or you read the stuff or other promoters are having a go at you because, you, you know, you're not on with them at the moment, that is hard. But you just try and take each person as you see them and you try and be as polite light and as nice as you can be and uh, it's interesting you know you, you you get all the sort of haters online but actually when you're around ringside when you're around these big arena shows everybody wants to sort of talk to you about boxing and you get a lot of love so I think it's about sort of you know making sure you're not completely squashed by the sport as well you know you have to take a breath I'm a big sports fan so I get a lot of enjoyment watching other sports and not having to worry about that business boxing's my business you know I love watching football and tennis and cricket and darts and other things I love being with my my kids you know my three kids and you see that and so I've got other interests as well as boxing and I think that's crucial because you know you can just get all evaporated all sort of in into it and it's it's a very hard world if you don't so I think yeah you do look at people you or I did look at people slightly differently and slightly more worryingly as well and I think probably people looked at me and thought okay he's now you know the the, the executive producer, the head of, I've, I've got to do the right thing by him. And I was like, no, I just wanted to sit and be one of the guys, one of the guys and girls still, you know, and I was made to sort of move my chair to the other side of the desk. And, and, and I didn't as always felt feel comfortable with it. And six months ago, actually, when Barney left and Rob Webster took over Sky, I went to him and I said, look, I'm, I sort of want a new role. You know, I've managed the team for 10 years. It's never been my strong point, my production area. 
Um, what I, I, I am and do enjoy more is, is doing the commercial side, plotting the, the fights that could be on Sky, the box office nights. I think I, I know the sport well. I've, I've got knowledge. I've got contacts. I've got good people like you guys around me. And I, and I know that, you know, I know that I can make a difference in that area. Um, I obviously love commentating more than anything. That will still never leave me. It's, the, it's my one real passion and, and it's what I wanted to do. My friends went to the city. They all did other things, made a load more money. But for me, I, I love what I do. I've got that passion of sitting six feet away from a fight and commentating. And that's amazing. So I'm now doing a, a little bit more, which suits me and my strengths, I think. And the team are now, the team are flying and, and they're away and they're with better people than me that can lead them in a better way. And so hopefully that, that will be a, a, a nice thing going forward. It's slightly different, but we've got a very important couple of years ahead of us with relationships and um, contracts sort of coming, you know, winding down a bit. And we need to look at, you know, renewing those and we need to look at um, our, uh, our standing in, in, in the business and, and where boxing fits. And it's really important for me to be right in the uh, in the thick of that and that's not going to be to please everybody I'm going to you know there's going to be um, debates and there's going to be uh, I've got to sort of you know get through the fog of it all but um, you know I'm ready I'm ready for that fight I'm ready to do what I can for Sky as I said it's about it's about doing what I do for Sky because um, you, know, you cut me open on a bleed Sky and uh, that's what I've always been so uh, they gave me the opportunity in August 1994 to, to join their uh, merry band uh, in the early days um, I did my first commentary five years later. It was on the night that Johnny Nelson won his world title finally against Carl Thompson. And, um, you know, I'll always be very grateful for that opportunity. I'll never take it for granted. I'll always keep learning. I'll always keep trying to get better. And when you make a mistake, you just have to dust yourself down and get on with it and accept the criticism and listen to the people that you really respect. And, uh, and you move on and it's a journey and um, it will, I'll never stop learning. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's at times been tough, but at times it's been incredibly rewarding. And I think I get the most pleasure by seeing you know, the, the team and the thriving passion that, that still exists in, in Sky. When everyone mentions boxing at Sky, there's a smile on people's face. When's the next big fight? You know, we love what you guys do. And, um, and that's, that's great. And it's not about me. That's about the team that uh, I helped build and the team that is absolutely thriving now. OK, so we won't keep you too much longer, but we're going to have to finish with, um, with, with a good bit of comedy, I think. So when you think back of, uh, of all the years, what, th there must have been some crazy things that have happened, some, some <laughs> extremely odd situations. We might be were, here a long time. Yeah, we could be here a while, and they might, they might not be able to repeat all of them. But um, just give us a few kind of priceless boxing moments. Okay, I mean, I, I, okay, memories that stand out for me immediately the night that Ricky Hatton beat Costas here at two in the morning, June the 5th, 2005. Everyone knows where they were. It was um, an amazing, amazing night here at Manchester Arena. I mentioned before the Corrales Castillo won commentary when I was stood up at the end and I, I said I'd one of the greatest fights of the last 10, 20, 30 years. And I put the mic down. I thought, I hope everyone else thinks that. Um, that was a stunning fight. Danny Williams winning with, with, with one arm. Nassim Hammond and Kevin Kelly in the garden. Um, you know, the, 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 the multi-knockdown thrillers. And people forget the undercar with Kennedy McKinney and Junior Jones. And that great line in the press conference, your ass is grass and I'm the lawnmower. You know, wonderful stuff. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, I interviewed Piers Brosnan and, and Donald Trump of all people that night in, 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 in New York. I remember going, I was over there two weeks. I remember going up to Harlem and saying, 
what, what do you think of the prince? He ain't no prince in New York. We're going to, you know, Kevin Kelly's going to get his ass and all that. So some great, great moments. I've, I've loved sort of running up Big Bear with Oscar De La Hoya. I've loved playing chess with Lennox Lewis. Uh, we almost sank the world heavyweight champion, Lennox Lewis. I asked Craig Slater from Sky Sports about the cheap boat he got in Miami that, that, that almost shipped the water and Lennox was nearly a goner. So there's some, there's some amazing stories. You know, I, uh, I, I think that probably... The most bizarre was when I was just a fight fan and I, I was working for CNN and I went down to Atlanta and worked with Evander Holyfield and ended up going to the Holyfield Bow second fight and it was the it was the Caesars Palace and, and the fan man came in and the fan man came in on this propeller thing and I remember thinking, what the hell, what is this? And this guy crashes into the ring at ringside and the whole fight's held up and he's being beaten up and it's a 20-minute gap and... Bo's winning the fight and then because he's not as, as athletic as Holyfield Holyfield was the one that came on down the stretch and won the world heavyweight title back when he shouldn't have done it was bizarre and I remember thinking I want to be in this sport because it is absolute chaos and you know what you know what you know what? Uh, do you know what something's just come to me the Eston Leisure Centre in Middlesbrough right I mean, oh, that was something I was going to get on to. indoor arenas. You used to go to some places for around the country. Eston Leisure Centre, you know, Withenshaw, Widnes, you know, Runcorn, uh, 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 Tyler's Town in Wales for a Nicky Piper fight when Bruce Scott said he was going to shoot him if he lost. And I mean, there was all sorts of stuff. But the Eston Leisure Centre in Middlesbrough, right, check this one out. Paul Truscott, love Paul Truscott, you know. He was great. He used to say he was from this roughest, toughest state in Middlesbrough. And he used to say at the end of every interview, it doesn't matter what you do, kids. Do boxing, do ballet, do something. Get away from the drugs. He gave the same message all the time. I absolutely love Truss. He was a great, he was a great, great man. And we had a fight night up there in Eston Leisure Centre. And we got up there and it was raining inside the arena. There was a flood. There were sprinklers. There was everything. It was underwater, the whole thing. And we canned an indoor event because of flooding. And I thought, you know what? It's just mad. Like, flooding happens in rivers. Flooding happens, you know, the, in outdoor. I mean, I've been at Hamden Park where we've, we've commentated under the plastic sheets off the monitors when Saudi? Tyson fought. We got rain done in Saudi. It's Saudi. They didn't have a, a drop of rain all year. And suddenly it rains just before AJ gets in the ring. You know, we've had, I mean, unbelievable nights in outdoors. The rain in Hamburg was just, I mean, when when Klitschko and and, and, uh, and David Hay fought. I mean, he, I opened my window in the morning and it, you could, it just was coming down. I'm thinking, oh my God, we're in for one here. Uh, I went but, to that fight. I bought floor tickets and we just got absolutely just hosed on. Absolutely soaked. So there are those. And, you know, I was thinking that that was, I remember also when David Starry fought at the Elephant and Castle. Check this one out. The lights went out in the 11th round. I mean, like, <laughs> for about, it seemed like about 10 seconds. It couldn't have been. It must have been four or five seconds. And it was like the lights had gone out. I mean, what on earth? As a fighter, do you do? Oh, boxes. I mean, it's, just, it's absolutely Spe- crazy. Speaking of things going out, because I mentioned this on the on the podcast we did with Anna, um, Cardiff, Anthony Joshua's fight against either Takam or Parker. I can't quite remember which one. He's doing his ring walk, and all the power went down at, uh, at ringside. And I yes. remember, I remember just looking at you, and you just looking at me, and we both just started laughing. And you just kept going, because that's all you can do. That's what you're always told in that situation. You just keep going, and you hope that the TVs and the power comes back on. But you don't know. You've got brilliant people like Sarah Chenery, our top director, who is, who's always in control. And, they're the, and, they're, and they're, that's what you have in a team. 
They're the ones that, are, you know, they're talking in your ear. They, they, they keep you calm. They make sure you don't panic. And, and, you know, there are situations. Jim Watt, amazing man. And I learned so much from him. And he was my first man. He's my co-commentator now. Jim Watt was was an absolute legend and, and, and the best. And, and, you know, he could do some amazing things. He could, you know, if he used to work with the great Dickie Davis and Dickie would tap him on the, on the knee if he wanted 10 seconds once, if he wanted 20 seconds twice. And Jim would just give these answers in the same. It was it, it, unbelievable. One of the great, great commentators and, uh, of our time, Jim Watt. But Jim said to me, you know, I used to spend a lot of time with him before fights, especially in the early days and picking his knowledge and whatever. And he told me this story when him and Reg was commentating in uh, Reg Guttridge, another like Harry Carpenter, Naaman Andrews and all those before him, another great commentator, Reg. And when Reg and, um, and Jim had, they had a fight in, um, in Denmark, I think it was a Danish guy and a Swedish guy, a big heavyweight fight anyway. All chaos happened after the fight, right? One of them got knocked out and the, and the ring sort of started collapsing. And Reggie had to go up there to do the interview. So he had to put his comment, his mic down. He was next to Jim. He had to put the mic down and he had to clamber in the ring. And the problem with Reg was he had a wooden leg, right? From the war, he had a wooden leg. They called it the peg leg and it was all, and he used to play lots of jokes about the leg anyway. So he gets up into the ring and, and Reg got stuck with his leg and he couldn't get his leg over the ring. So he's stuck like this and he's, he's trying to get to, in there. There's a whole bedlam in there. There's everyone, there's the promoters, the managers, the agents, the mums, the dads, everyone to be in the ring. Reg got stuck in the corner post with his leg and Jim looked at the producer and there was like two, three minutes going on and there was, you know, Jim was talking away and it was like waiting for Reggie. He was like looking up and Reggie was, he was like, half, oh, hey, couldn't get there. And he looked at the producer, Jim, he looked at the producer. He said, what, what do I do? What do I do? And the producer just scribbled down this bit on this bit of paper and he put it in front of Jim and it said, keep talking. And I think that's sometimes what you've got to do. You've just got to keep going. <laughs> that's it, isn't it? That's I'm, it. <laughs> it's that simple. Yeah, I mean, I thought, not on that level, but there was, I don't know, we do, we did the, I think it was Brazil, Wilder, and he banjos him in the first round, like proper knocks him out, and you had to get, I think, you know, they wouldn't let her do the interview, so Adam's going to shoot up into the ring, and I'm thinking, what? he says, you'll be alright to cover, won't you? And I was like, yeah, 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 and I'm just, I'm, I'm talking, and I'm thinking, how long do I keep talking for, do you know what I mean? I just keep coming, I don't know. I mean, he knocked him out in a minute, there ain't much to say. <laughs> It's life stories time. What do you do now? Okay, right. When I turn professional, back in. <laughs> and that's what it is. But you know what, Andy? It's uh, There's been amazing tales. Um, and it's, yeah, and sometimes this has been great because you actually don't often stop and, and look back and, and think about and what reminisce. we've been through. Yeah, it's good to you know, it's, it's really important. And, and it's really important. The journey. Because it it's, really, it's so important to, to try and enjoy things as you're doing them. Things like, like the stadium fights and, and Saudi Arabia. But, inevitably you, you do get wrapped up in it because there are things you have to you could be quite tunnel vision so it, it is really important to look back on stuff you've done and just think wow that really was great and that really was ludicrous it was both at the same time and, and that's and that's what you get in boxing that you don't look, get we all, we all, we there's all a sterility to other professional sports now that just does not exist in chaos boxing. absolute it's, chaos it's chaos it's what amazing chaos it's, un, it's unpredictability and I think you know it's gripping and I think you know it is it, it, you, no day is ever the same um, never, no hour is ever the same in boxing. And I think also, you know, we all make mistakes. We all pick ourselves up. We all have bad days. We have, you know, there's times, I mean, Eddie and I have been on the floor and we're thinking, you know, what do we do now? And then there's moments where that something happens and you just think, that is why I love this sport. And I go back to what I've said, you know, a number of times during, the, during this, 
It's the fighters. The fighters are the pure, most wonderful, brave men and women that get into that squared circle. And every single one of them, you know, we've got a, a bill tomorrow that's almost starting tonight. It's so long. But every one of those that gets in that, in, 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 between, in between the ropes, you know, I've got huge respect for. And uh, people laugh and they say, oh, that guy's really fat or that guy's out of shape or that this guy's lost 25 fights. He's a journeyman or... They don't understand. They don't understand. And I, I think that that is something which is, which will always live with me, the, the, the bravery of these people, that the Smith twins, tragically, we lost, you know, we, we, we lost Billy Smith. And, and I, and I yeah, that was, they were journeymen and they, you know, had 150 fights. And, you know, it's, you do get tragic stories in this sport and it's really sad at times. But I go back to people like, James Murray's mum or Spencer Oliver and you know that that gets me back and it makes you think you know what nearly every one of these fighters has done it because they wanted to do it and they loved it and they took the risk and it's it's they know the dangers but they they, they did it and, and I whether you meet central level British level world level whether you're a Floyd Mayweather superstar whatever even if you don't win anything you've got in that ring and uh they're a lot braver than I'd ever be. Okay, that is the perfect place to leave it. Thanks very much, Adam. This has been great fun. Um, trip down memory lane, as you say, is always good fun. And and you've been doing this a long time. And, and like I said at the very start, I think people who, particularly in the kind of YouTube era, the digital era, which isn't that old, they, they will see you here, there and everywhere. And it will be talking Sky Business and talking the next fight coming up and... I think a lot of people just wouldn't really know how far how far back your journey goes and, 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 and how much um, sheer insanity you've witnessed with your own eyes <laughs> because if you do this for long enough there's one thing you know is going to happen and is you're going to see some crazy shit uh, and it's been good fun to hear about it so thanks for that uh, and thanks for tuning in everybody as always if you can get onto iTunes and give us a rate and subscribe and all the rest of it then that'll be great and we will be back with you again soon someone sneaking round a corner could that someone be Mac the knife there's a tugboat down by the river don't you know where a cement bag just drooping on down Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the way to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Sports Social Podcast Network.